Many of you may remember that longer ago, we used to have these things called preparatory services. Anybody know what a preparatory service is? What is it? What's that? I think it's Some of you may not understand that one very well. You can, you can figure out from the word, right? Preparatory service means you're preparing for something. What are we preparing for? For communion. So long ago, it used to be, we used to do the, this a lot more. And I don't know if you can say what you want about whether we forgot all the good old things and we don't do things the way we used to and get all out, bent out of shape. Or you can say, well, we don't need those anymore. Or you can be in, ambivalent about it. Or you can do whatever. But the fact of the matter is this morning, I'd like to give a personal invitation to every one of you to join us tonight for communion, and then I'd like to just tell you that at the, uh, I'd like to do everything I can this morning to get you ready to be able to do that with a clear conscience tonight, to come tonight and to say, I can willingly, I can with sincerity, I can with purity, I can uh, without any reservation partake in the Lord's Supper with the body of believers. And that's, that's going to include a whole lot of things. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to tell you up front, I don't, I don't know if you like those things, or you start hearing these things, and I remember there was a time in my life when I'd hear things like this, and I just start getting this feeling down here, like, ah, oh, I don't like this, I don't want to sit here, I don't want to, but I've come to recognize that that usually is a good sign that the Holy Spirit wants to say something to me that day, and wants to take care of some things in my life that I maybe don't want to have taken care of, and so today, I'd like to just encourage you, you know, I love the testimonies we have here, um, and, and I, 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 well, just a statement by itself. I love those testimonies of God and his provision and his protection and his incredible ability to, to, uh, to move thunderstorms or to, to, as we talk about, to give sight back. I mean, Jesus literally said that's what he's doing. And he did that, right? But I want us to understand this morning that uh, I believe, and I hope you believe the same way, that God is far, far, far more interested in uh, moving the mountains spiritually speaking, inside of you than he is in moving them physically outside of you. He's, he's okay with the outside too. It's to demonstrate who he is and what he can do. There's, there's nothing impossible with him. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're saying, well, I want to be ready for communion, but I have this in my life. I have this sin or I have this attitude or I have this problem or I have this something, that this discouragement or I have this, this roadblock. I have something. I want to assure you that as boldly as we can say that God can move lightning away and God can uh, part other things and God can change this or God can, he is far more capable and willing and wants to, in fact, have you uh, allow him to shine the light inside of you and say, that mountain of sin, he can move. That habit that you have not been able to kick, he can get rid of for you through the Holy Spirit. You have to be a willing participant, but as you've probably known, if you're thinking that, you can't do it by yourself, right? If you're like me, you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And it won't work. But not only can he, he wants to. And I'm going to make no bones about it this morning. That I want this morning to be the morning. Even if it's for the first time ever in your life. Or if it's for the thousandth time in your life. I want this morning to be a morning where you clear everything else off your radar. You're not thinking about other people. You're not thinking about whatever else. You're allowing the Word of God, which we're going to come to in just a little bit, and the Spirit of God to work in you and bring you to a place where you could, whether you hear it or not, you could say, I would have 
absolutely zero qualms about eating and drinking remembrance to what Jesus did for me. And if that were the very last thing I would ever do, I would know what the next thing that's going to happen to me is. Last week, I finished up my series on the foundations. I taught on the sanctity of life. And in that uh, sermon, we went to a place that you probably were familiar with. That's Psalm 139. And it's a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And there's a verse towards the end of that that's where I want to start off from this. I didn't necessarily intend to connect the two together, but that verse just kept coming back to me this week. And I said, okay, Lord, then let's spend a Sunday morning with it. And so we're going to. Psalm 139, verse 23. I hope you have your Bibles with you. I hope you're willing to open them up. I'm going to put a lot of verses I'm going to refer to directly up on the screen. But that's no substitute for holding the Word of God in your own hands. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 139, verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now, I would just, again, in the effort of just being completely direct and honest with you this morning, I want to just ask, ask you, when's the last time or have you ever really sincerely said that to God? God, you can search me and know my thoughts. You can try me. Uh, sorry, search me and know my heart. I didn't even get it said right. Try me and know my thoughts. I am willing. I am opening myself up. In fact, I'm asking you to do it. Search me and try me. Let me just uh, spend a few moments with those two words because, again, you don't maybe want to know the specific Hebrew words or care about them that much. But the Hebrew word for search is the word kakar. It means to penetrate. To penetrate or to examine intimately. Look at those phrases. Those things, I would dare say, probably make us a little uncomfortable, Right? Not many of us willingly enter into conversations with other human beings and say, hey, I would like you to examine me intimately. I would like you to get down nitty-gritty, down to the dirty, peel away the layers and really examine what's going on in there. How many of us willingly sign up for conversations like that? I shouldn't be raising my hand because I don't. Yet, this is what the psalmist is saying, and this is what I'm exhorting, encouraging, asking of us to be willing to do this morning. God, I want you to penetrate with your Holy Spirit this morning. Not just, not just that I'm coming to church and I'm going to let the Word of God come about this far into my brain, about this far into my heart, but then I'm going to block it and I'm going to say, nope, no further. This morning I'm going to say, I want you to penetrate. I want you to go places that you haven't, or I have not allowed you to go to before. I want you to examine intimately the status of my heart. I can tell you, by the way, according to the Word of God, it is exactly that kind of intimate relationship that He wants to have with you. And yet most of us hold Him at arm's length. We want Him controlled. We want Him where we can still have some say in the matter. It's exactly what the Sunday School lesson was about. We want to still say, I want you to save me and keep me from this awful circumstance that might be coming down the road, but I don't really want you to have intimate access into my innermost being where you can control every thought and every movement of my heart. And this morning I'm asking, are you willing to say, search me, God, penetrate, examine intimately my heart? The second word is very similar to that. I'm just going to go to it. It's the word try. Hebrew word is balken. means to test or to investigate. It's specifically a word that's used with metals. To test 
or investigate the strength or the purity or the, uh, the costliness of metals to figure out whether they will stand up to the test of strength, if it were that, or the test of worth, if it were something that's costly. Try my thoughts. And he covers both bases, right? It's my heart. It's the thing that motivates me deep inside, the, the attitudes that I have. You know, we're in the middle of a world that is scrambling to prove to everyone else how much they care about other people how much they care about the safety, how much they care about racism, how much they care about all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to sound, well, maybe I do. I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't want to sound um, harsh or critical, or, but I want to be honest. I want to say something I think probably many of us think. We often tend to think of only other people out there, not of us, but many of us think. Is that there's a whole lot of talk going on, but the human condition hasn't really changed a whole lot, has it? You can say all you want, and companies can put out all they want about how they're dealing with racism or how they're dealing with the COVID crisis or how they're dealing with this or that. But the human condition hasn't really changed, has it? Again, I tell you, we can do all we want pointing fingers out there. I'm not really worried about that. I mean, I mean it does cause me concern. But this morning, for the sake of this message, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about where's my heart at? Am I giving lip service to things that the attitude deep down in my heart hasn't really changed? The condition of my heart hasn't really changed. I'm saying what is the right thing to say, but it hasn't really made a difference. Because if I'm going to ask God to penetrate and to look intimately into the motivations of my own heart, then I'm going to have to realize that that's going to strip away every single layer that I might throw up there. And of course, not only the heart, but the thoughts. You know, the irony Irony is a good word. I love irony. I'm a huge fan of irony. I point it out in all the places I possibly can. But you know the irony? If I'm up here talking, and God made us in wonderful ways. He made so that we can, we can multitask. We can do all kinds of things, which means while I'm up here talking, and you're hopefully at least making some semblance of an effort to listen, you're also thinking things, right? You're thinking thing, other things all the time. And you know, the reality is, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I don't know. You could be thinking a whole bunch of things. You could be thinking about stuff that's up here. You could be thinking about why do I talk this way or why am I dressed like this or why, what, I don't know what. You could be thinking about something totally different. The irony is, while we all know that and know that uh, we don't really know what each other's thinking, there is someone who knows exactly what you're thinking right now. The Lord knows exactly what you're thinking. As I'm going to show you in just a little bit. He actually knew what you're going to think right now before you even thought it. I don't know if that messes with you or not. I suggest to you it should a little bit, actually. Enough to get you to recognize who God really is. I'll just put this verse back up. I'm going to make no bones about the fact that I would like you to ask today, God, can you search me? Can you know my heart can you try me? Can you test me? Can you investigate and know my thoughts? I also want you to understand something very clearly before we move on. And that is when you're asking that kind of question, I hope you understand, um, well, I, I hope you understand, I was going to say, I hope you understand the futility of asking that kind of question. As if you could somehow not have that happen. That's what I want to say, right? So go back to the beginning of Psalm 139. Look what the very first verse is. 
Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern, you know, you understand my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where would you like to try to hide? This is my own addition to this verse. Where would you like to hide this morning from God's Holy Spirit? Let's let the psalmist answer that. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for dark is as light with you. In summary, where can you go to hide from God's presence? Where can you go to shield yourself from His Holy Spirit? Absolutely, positively nowhere. God knows you already. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say the next time you open your mouth to say something. He knows how you're feeling. He knows what you thought yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows all that already. The key is, I should still not say this verse is futile, because the key is not the fact that God, you're asking God to somehow know things that he doesn't already know. You are saying, I give you permission to search me. I want you to penetrate me. I want you to peel away the layers and reveal to me what you already know. That, brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, given what we read about Jesus this morning Sunday school, I have to tell you, that is a dangerous proposition. You know the song we used to sing a long time ago? You cannot come into this high and holy place and say the same. You can't come into God's presence and not be changed. It's true. Because the Spirit of God is able to pierce and divide and reveal and unveil things that you don't care to have revealed or unveiled perhaps. Or that you are unwilling or that you don't even know are there. Search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And now I want to go to the next verse because that's really connected with this verse. I have to put it up there. Because there's a follow-up request. As you're doing that, you're asking God to see, is there any grievous way in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. Interesting thing about the word grievous. The Hebrew word actually carries the connotation of idolatry. So you're asking God, is there any presence of idolatry in the way I'm living my life? There's the word way. It actually shows up there twice in that verse. Derek. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, a path, a road. Is there, as I carry my life about, is there any evidence of idolatry of any kind? Idolatry, of course, being anything that usurps the position that God rightly has in your life, in your heart, in your thoughts, in your mind, in your attitudes, the things you do. 
And if there is, the implication's right there, right? I want you to search me, not just reveal it to me so I know it, so I'm a smarter person. I want you to try my thoughts, not just so I suddenly understand my brain better. I want you to see if there's wicked or evil or grievous or idolatrous ways in me, not just so that I'm suddenly more self-aware, but I want you to get rid of them and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, an interesting phrase. The word everlasting is the Hebrew word that carries with it this idea that until you can no longer see. It's like past the point of seeing. You know, when you're peering down the road, there's a point where it sort of drops off the horizon. You can no longer see it. That's what that word means. That's why it's translated everlasting. Some translations may say ancient paths. It carries the same thing because it has the idea of to time where I can no longer see it. And by the way, it's either direction. Time back nowhere I can no longer see it. Or time forward, which is actually really short for us, right? Time forward where we can no longer see is basically like we think it's a long ways, but it's really like the next minute actually. Lead me in the way that's everlasting. It's an understanding that since I've already confessed at the beginning of the psalm that God knows everything. He knows where I've been. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm going to be. We didn't read those verses, but he, we're intimately, we're, we're, we're so preciously, intimately made. He knows all the days we're going to live before we even were made and formed. That's all this part that I skipped there. We talked about it last week, so I don't want to do it again. Given that, you, God, can lead me down this path where I can't see anymore. You know what's back there even though I can't see it anymore. It's dropped off my vision. It's dropped off my radar. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I want to make a few points that I think are necessary for us this morning if we're going to say, I want to take an honest look at the condition of my heart. I want to take a sincere, uh, partake in a sincere effort in preparing myself for communion. I'm going to key on this word way, this road. This is an idea that's very prevalent in Scripture. We maybe don't always talk about it, but this is an idea that's very prevalent in Scripture. The way that we're on, the life that we live. This is why it's always a mistake to point at a single instance and say that solved it for the rest of time. Because we are living a life, right? While we are trusting in Jesus, we are secure. When we are no longer trusting in Jesus, we're no longer secure. The way that we're on. Paul picks up this theme in the New Testament a number of times, but I'm not going to go there yet because I want to go to another verse. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. You can flip there if you'd like. I'm going to put the verse up here. We'll actually turn there in a little bit to read more around there. But Jeremiah 6, 16 is an interesting verse. It's God speaking through Jeremiah. He says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. There's that word. Stand by the roads and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. An interesting phrase. God comes to the people of Israel through Jeremiah and he says, I want you to stand by a road. I want you to look at something that's physically a road that you're traveling on, but I want you to be asking for the ancient paths. Now, he's no longer talking about a literal road anymore, is he? He's talking about the ancient, it's the same word there, the, the, the everlasting way. He's, I want you to look for the ancient paths beyond what you can see, and I, where God, where the good way is, and I want you to walk in it, and there you're going to find rest for your souls. There's a few pieces we have to put in this yet, but I want to stop with this right here, because what he says right after that is what should cause us to sit up a little straighter, and say, I need to pay attention to what's happening. Because he says right after that, God says, but they said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk on those paths. We will not walk on the everlasting way. We will not go to that place where good is and where there's peace for my heart. We will not walk on that way. 
which if you're like me, we should have to be like me, but if you, if you want to know if, why God is saying things like that and pay attention because he's going to, he, he obviously has something he wants to, a point he wants to make, then it causes us to look around that verse a little bit to say, what's the context here? So let me read a few uh, verses for you and set that context. I don't think it will take very long for me to set the context for you to realize uh, these verses are maybe not our most favorite verses. Let me go back to verse 8 in Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to kind of just jump in, but let me just go back to there. Verse 8. Jeremiah 6, be warned. We already know those two words, right? This is maybe something we're going to want to hear. Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Friends, I, 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 I don't want to diminish. I don't want to diminish attributes of God at all. But I also want to encourage us to hold them in good balance. This is the God who loves us with an everlasting love that is saying these words. Lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a grape gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children of the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest... Everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Huh, they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And then we come to the verse I already read. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. What use, is to, what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend shall perish. These are not words that we like to reckon with. I mean, maybe you do. I don't. 
We like to hear comforting words. We like to hear how God saves us, and he does. We and what we're going to say here is that that's stuff that God doesn't do, but we like to hear of God's unending love for us. We like to hear of what he's done for us through Jesus, and there's room for all of that, but I'm telling you, if we think what we will about the mess we live in in a culture, but it comes down to we must be willing to let God search our hearts and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us, and we must repent of them. There is no other alternative. This is clear. This is God's chosen people. These are the ones they plucked from among them and said, I will honor you above every other nation to demonstrate the glory of who I am. He loved them. He, 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 he tended the vineyard, so to speak. He raised this wonderful, lush vineyard, and they turned away, and God says, I will be disgusted with them. I will bring desolation to them. I will make a stumbling block before them. Church, do not think for a second that we are different than that. That when we turn away from God, that he is not going to say, well, you know, you said you trusted Jesus once, so nothing is going to come in your way. No stumbling block, no problems, no desolation, no disgust in the Lord. We don't like reading these, but we must have these words or else we cannot properly frame how incredible it is what Jesus has done. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, the everlasting way, where the good way is, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Can I ask you personally this morning, like you personally, I, mean, I can't really do this individually to every one of you. I wish I could. Can I ask you, are you responding by saying, no, I will not walk in that way? Or are you saying, yeah, I want to look for that way? I can tell you there's incredible, incredible news I get to share as part of this message and certainly tonight's message that's going to come after it. But I can't share that news with you if you haven't said I'm looking for that way. I'm willing to walk on that path. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. It's amazing how these laid together. I shouldn't be so amazed because God is <laughs> far beyond my comprehension of amazing even. But Jesus said these words. We're going to go to the New Testament here. Jesus said these words. And these words have always been words I didn't like. He begins by saying that broad is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find it. Many walk on it. And then he says, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I don't know about you, but I can remember so clearly being a little boy sitting I don't know where I was sitting. I mean, I can't think of a place I was sitting, but being a little boy, young, and reading this verse and just not understanding it. How can that be? How could it possibly be so, so, such an incredible thing that God does through Jesus? And then few find it. But the gate's so narrow and there's so few that go through. How could it possibly be that so many people would so willingly walk on the broad road to their destruction? And then I get older and I know the condition of my heart. And I see how many times my feet have trod on the path that is wide and broad. It's easy. And I say, oh, heaven help me. Oh, Lord, you got to help me. 
If there's a few that find it, I want to be one of those. If we're looking for the way that's everlasting, you know Jesus answered that question. If we're looking for a path that we're supposed to be on, if we're looking for the thing that extends beyond our line of sight to where we can no longer see, but is coming nonetheless. Jesus answered that question. We all know it. We all know the verse so well. Do you notice that's that same word in there? That's why Jesus says it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, what God spoke through Jeremiah in the Old Testament says, look for that ancient path, look for the old ways, where good is in, where you find peace for your soul. He's not talking about a road, he's talking about a person. Jesus. He is the gate. He actually says that, and I could have put that verse up in John. He says that, I'm the gate. The gate's narrow. Few find it because they're unwilling to believe that there's only one way. And it must be that way. That there's not alternate ways. That there's not something we can do about it. Because the gate that's entered is there that's required for us to walk through. Laying everything down and saying, I throw everything upon this gate that I'm walking through. Upon Jesus Christ. Nothing that I have to bring is worth anything. In terms of paying for my salvation. Nothing I can do can get anywhere. No effort I can make. Did you not hear God? What good is frankincense from Sheba for me? What good sweet cane? I don't accept your offerings. When you say to me, here is the way I want you to walk in, you say, I will not walk in it. You may as well stop. You may as well stop. But today is the day I'm asking us, Again, if it's the first time, that's great. If it's not the first time, do it again. I'm asking us to tell God that we want him to search us, to investigate, to probe, to penetrate, to reveal the true state of our hearts so that we are right with him. Just to make sure you understand the point that I want to make this morning, that I don't leave you any room to say, but when Jesus came, it changed everything and those old rules no longer apply. I'd like to take us this morning to finish off the morning to a passage in the book of Hebrews. It comes on the heels of wonderful statements of how God, what he has done through Jesus, how by one single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. How we have assurance of faith, that we have confidence to enter into the most holy place. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. That we can stand, that we can hold fast this confession. But then he says something interesting in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. Let me read these verses for you this morning. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friends, we just came through a study of theology of what we believe about God. And one of those things that we talked about that we believe about God is that he's eternal. That he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what I'm reading to you this morning is evidence of the fact in one of those areas that we would often pretend or wish that we could not have to address or deal with. And that is the God that we see dealing with the nation of Israel Letting his anger pour out. Notice what he said. Remember what he said in Jeremiah? I am tired of holding it back. I'm tired of holding it back. And he deals in those ways with the nation of Israel that we, I believe, to a large degree, have allowed ourselves to think that when Jesus came on the scene, that that wiped all that away. And yet, the verses I just read to you would say, I think we should be careful how quickly we jump to that conclusion. Look at the phrases that are used. Read them carefully. How much worse do you think it will be? Referring back to the Old Testament Israelites who disobeyed the law of Moses, how much worse do you think it will be, how much worse do you deserve if you have trampled underfoot the Son of God? There's phrase number one. Trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned brought impurity, that which is holy, the blood of the covenant, and listen to this phrase, outraged the spirit of grace. In an effort to stay consistent with myself all morning long, I also don't want us to be pointing fingers at other churches out there who have, in our estimation, outraged the spirit of grace. Can I ask you to just... Sincerely consider in your own life whether you have outraged the spirit of grace. What do you think it looks like when the Holy Spirit of God becomes outraged? What happens when God gets angry? What force in the entire universe is there that can stay an outraged spirit of God. This is why he ends with this verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The best that I can do for you this morning, the best that I can do for you this morning is to tell you, you already know this, but to remind you that everything we've just read here, there's a day coming. God may hurry that up. I have a distinct sense that a lot of stuff we're happening around here is, has to do with the verses that we're reading this morning about God's displeasure, not with the world, but with the church. He said, see, I will lay a stumbling block before them, the church, before the prophets and the priests, those who are saying peace when there is no peace, those who are also greedy for unjust gain, those who don't even know how to blush when they commit an abomination. 
Is that us? You can go a whole bunch of areas, but certainly the most obvious area is in the realm of sexuality. Do you know, probably very few of us blush at things that 100 years ago, people would have turned away and said, oh, we can't even look at that. And to us, it's like, oh, we see people walking around and stuff like that all the time. We see that on TV all the time. That doesn't even like, that's just how it is. The best thing I can do for you is to remind you there's a day coming when you will stand before this God who is a living God and you will be judged and he will take vengeance for things that have been done against him. And therefore, knowing that is true, I beg of you, I urge of you, I do everything I can to you to say, then make today the day that you say, search me God and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts so that you do not have to wait until that day comes to know what condition you're in. Because you do not want to wait until that day. It will be forever too late. Far better, the spirit of grace I've just referred to that's outraged, we are, we are experiencing him this morning. The spirit of grace that says, now, today, you can ask God this question. You can say, penetrate you. You can say, examine me intimately. You can say, strip away the layers. Find if there's any wicked way in me, any grievous way in me, any idolatrous way in me. You can lead me in the way everlasting because then I can choose it today and not wait until it's too late and find out I thought I was right and I was not. Therefore, the best thing I can do is just allow you to spend time with the Lord and not listen to anything else I have to say. Let's do that. I'm going to just invite you to close your eyes where you're at. I am going to ask of you, you must find yourself obedient to the Holy Spirit of God in these next moments. He has... He has brought the word to us. He has broken it. He has allowed us to understand. And now we're responsible. I would tell you, I would invite you, the altar up here, if you want to use that phrase, the steps up here, the stage up here is open. If the Spirit of God is saying, I want a visible representation of you on your knees before me, saying, God, search me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, See if there's any wicked ways in me, any grievous ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to be right with you. I want to surrender everything. I want to give you all that I have. If, if he's asking for a visible representation this morning of that, I would tell you, you can't do anything but that. Mel said it so well. He gave so much for us. How could we hold anything back? But we do it all the time, don't we, brothers and sisters? This morning... This morning, I want to give you a chance to spend time with the Lord. I would ask that you, if you can do so in sincerity, that you would ask God to search you, search your heart, to know your heart, to try you, to know your thoughts. Brothers and sisters, are you willing this morning to ask the Lord if there's an obstacle between you and him? to reveal that to you. And when he does, for you to lay that down, to give that to him, to offer that. If it's a sin, if it's an attitude, if it's a pride, if it's an anger, if it's an unforgiveness, to lay that down before him. Jesus, you are the way 
and the truth and the life. There's no one that comes to the Father other than through you. You have made it so clear the narrowness of that gate this morning is you've given us this opportunity of grace, a time of your mercy. We want to be faithful and respond. Father, you said you are not delighted with sacrifices, but with a broken and a contrite heart. I pray that you find broken and contrite hearts here this morning, this room. Humbled before you. Having bowed before you this morning, Father, we want to be very clear that when we come to Jesus for salvation, to go through that narrow gate, that we are at the same time laying down our lives before you and saying you may have your way with that. We don't hold that back. And so this morning, God, the places that we are the most able to, the most receptive the most open, the most repentant, the most humble before you. We also invite you, Father, if there's any, anything you want to move in us, anything you want to say to us, anything you want to provoke in us, our ears are listening. We don't want to be guilty of what they, you said through Jeremiah, that you can't find any ears who would hear, that your word was not held in high esteem. grateful, Jesus, that I have the precious, the precious good news of what you have done that I can share. In light of what your word has brought to us this morning, what your spirit has brought us this morning, (laughs) it is is treasure of infinite worth. We want to be like those, that that servant of yours that you described, that you told the story about in in the Gospels, you said when we found the treasure of infinite worth that you went and sold everything he had that he might obtain it. Tonight we look forward to participating in this gift and and becoming part as, 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 as much as we possibly can in this day and age, this many years post your death and resurrection, becoming part of your body saying, this is where I belong. This is where I find my peace and my freedom. This is where I find my identity. 
Thank you. God, I give you all the praise and glory. I believe your, your spirit was here this morning and was moving in our midst. And I, I, I can take no credit of that. God, you are an amazing, an amazing God. Your, your presence is real and moves us and shapes us and changes us. And that's exactly what we need. Thank you. Thank you. We say these things in the sweet name of our Savior, in the strong name of our Lord, the captain of our salvation. His name is Jesus, and we say it in his name this morning. Amen. I'll just invite us. Uh, we've, we've kind of, I don't know if you're willing to stay right where you're at. I, I know that sometimes we, we move pretty quickly on. I want to invite us. You see, if you've been following along the handout, um, you see that I have a space there at the very bottom for who you're going to sh- if the Lord has said anything to you and who you're going to share it with, I would just uh, encourage you, one of the things that I think you will find in your life that provides lasting change for you is if you're willing to speak with someone else about what God is saying to you. It's far too easy when we, are, when we are, uh, have these moments in church and then we walk out and life goes on. It's far too easy when we've not told anybody that we don't hold ourselves responsible. So I'd invite you just to, if you're willing to do so, just uh, mark down someone that you can share this with in the next day or so. If you have to, pick up a phone and call someone. Just tell them. It doesn't have to be a lot about it. They don't even have to play any role in it. It's just a matter of you saying what you, it's a way of you confirming what you sense the Lord doing inside of you. Um, I'm going to give us a chance to write that down. Uh, i always been one of my favorite, favorite songs. I didn't tell Eric to pick this song this morning, but I couldn't have, I couldn't have picked a better song. Um, I just like to have us maybe, I know sometimes we do a course or something and I know time has passed on, but we're in this moment where I think we've sensed the Lord's presence and I think nothing would be more fitting as a transition between this morning's message and tonight's message to sing uh, How Deep the Father's Love again. All three verses. Eric, I don't know if you want to come up here, if you can just lead it from where you're at. I think we know the words well enough. Caleb, you can probably throw them up on the wall behind me here. Um, let's sing it and then I'll, I'll uh, you know, here's what I'm going to do. We'll sing it. When the song is done, you can consider yourself dismissed. I think this morning, I'm going to, I know a lot of times I go back there, and there really are a lot of you I'd like to talk to, but uh, I'm going to maybe make you move to me. This morning, I'm going to stay up here. If there's somebody that wants prayer uh, for something still this morning, please come see me. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, hear hear what's, what's going on in your head, your heart. So I'm just going to stay up here, and, uh, and if no one does, I might move back there eventually, but you're welcome. To, once the song's done, you can just be dismissed.